Welcome to OVS Orbit, the podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers, Episode 1. I'm your host, Ben Pfaff. This is the first episode, so I think I should start with what I'm doing here. I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts myself, and I always feel like I get a lot more out of it than if I just read a user manual or a fac. There's lots of great written material out there, for sure, and I spend a lot of time reading it, too, and even writing it. But interviews with people always seem to be a little more human, and I always feel like I get a little more insight into how people think, and I always find that to be really valuable. So that's what I'm aiming for with the OVS Orbit podcast. I'm hoping to interview a lot of the great developers and users and others that I've encountered over the years. I hope that they can tell us directly what they like and what they're looking for in Open vSwitch. This episode is an interview with Alessandro Pilati of Cloudbase. I caught up with him at the OpenStack Summit in Austin. I've had a couple of meetings with Alessandro before to talk about the Hyper-V port of Open vSwitch that Cloudbase works on. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I hadn't realized before this interview that Alessandro is CEO of Cloudbase, but that's because he seems a little too technical for a CEO. He's still a developer too on some OpenStack projects and that might explain it. We talk in this podcast about a couple of things that some listeners might not know about. Netlink gets mentioned a couple of times. Netlink is kind of like a network protocol, except that it only gets used within a single computer instead of across a network. Linux uses Netlink to configure the network stack, and OVS on Linux uses Netlink to control the OVS kernel module. The OVS port to Hyper-V ended up implementing a Netlink stack on Windows, which is why it's relevant to what we're talking about here. As a second thing, Alessandro mentions Unix domain sockets. The Linux port of OVS uses Unix domain sockets to communicate between processes. Windows doesn't have Unix domain sockets, so the OVS port to Hyper-V substitutes TCP sockets instead. This causes a security problem, since any computer can talk over TCP. So Cloudbase is working on switching to name pipes, which Windows has, but they're less like Unix domain sockets, and so it's more work. But on the other hand, they should be a lot more secure. All right. Now that I've explained that stuff, let's get on to the interview. I don't know that much about Cloudbase. Mm -hmm. Do you want to start just by saying a little bit about what Cloudbase is and, and what you do? Definitely. So Cloudbase is a company who takes care of everything related to, to Microsoft technologies in the OpenStack space, okay? So we are, for example, the developer and maintainers of the Hyper-V driver, which is upstream in Nova. We develop or maintain the uh, Neutron interaction integration for, for, for Hyper-V. A Cinder driver for Windows Server, we have actually three Cinder drivers out there. Two of them are specific for Windows, which are the SMB Windows one and the Cinder one and the SCSI one. And there's also a Linux one, which is also the SMB one, the, the Samba, let's say one, okay? Then we have a NIL integration, and basically every, every important or relevant um, project in the OpenStack space has where Windows integration is needed has some involvement on our side. Particularly important is also the user space side. For example, if you run a Windows instance in OpenStack, you will have to need a cloud init, and the cloud init for Windows is called CloudBase init, and it's one of our products. So at that point, with the, with the objective, let's say, of um, having more and more people using Hyper-V in an OpenStack context, it became very important to look also at the SDN side and finding something to make sure that um, uh, we were able to speak the same SDN language as every other host. No? 
and OpenVSwitch was the obvious uh, de facto standard in this space. That's the main reason why we decided to, to get involved on OpenVSwitch and we got in touch with, with you and with, the, and with the rest of the community. And that's actually where our story started and led us to here. So what was uh, being used in mm -hmm. Hyper-V for, for networking and OpenStack uh, sure. before uh, OpenVSwitch got, sure. uh, got involved? Well, we have still today two options. Uh, one of them is to use the native SDN stack, which uh, enables only VLANs or NVGRE or OpenVSwitch. So, Still today, the customer, the users can actually decide if they want to use the networking Hyper-V ML2 agent or if they prefer to use the OVS agent. So the OVS agent is exactly the same one that we have upstream in Neutron today. No? Now with the upcoming also version of, 2000, of Windows Server 2016, there is also a new additional option based on a new SDN controller coming in box, let's say, with operating system. But uh, the, the huge advantage, of course, of uh, having OpenVSwitch ported natively on, uh, on Windows is that, okay, first we have the same identical toolset that we have on Linux, okay? So mm -hmm. we, we put up significant effort in making sure that the user was able to just run uh, any uh, user space commands and having the same, the same type of effort, and also making sure that uh, we were able to, to speak the, the same uh, OVSDB, OpenFlow language to say so. So if people come with NSX or with OpenDaylight or whatever other controller or OVN today and everything, we want to make sure that they can have the same identical experience that they can have on, uh, on KVM. Uh, one of the questions I've always had mm -hmm. for the port of OpenVSwitch mm -hmm. to Hyper-V sure. is should the port favor making things familiar to Windows administrators mm -hmm. or familiar to people who already know how to use OpenVSwitch on another platform? And I don't actually know which way you guys have tended to go. What, what's mm -hmm. sort of your philosophy on that? This is actually a great, a great question. That's something that we do also for all the rest of our products. So we always try to make sure that, uh, uh, that the project we, we deliver to our users are familiar for both traditional um, Windows uh, sysadmins, to say so, so somebody coming from a, from, a, from a Windows experience, and also for people coming from, uh, in this case, an OpenVSwitch experience, maybe from, from the, with a Linux background or let's say with a, an already expected way of deploying, let's say, OpenVSwitch in this case. So what happens for, uh, for the OpenVSwitch case is that we have uh, an installer. The installer is an MSI installer, like every other installer that people are using in typical on Windows, that makes uh, a very easy and familiar the full deployment experience. But once the services are deployed, we will have um, what are the corresponding demos in the Linux uh, user space context are Windows services on, on Windows. Okay, so you will still find uh, OVSDB server, vSwitchD and so on, but you will find them as Windows services. So that a Windows administrator can just go in the list of services, starting or stopping them and so on. So it's a uh, very well integrated. Additionally, uh, the virtual switch model is quite different compared to the, uh, the Linux one. Okay, so there are significant differences between uh, how the Linux kernel works and how the, the Windows kernel works, okay? At many different layers, including, of course, networking, okay? One of the interesting areas there is, was to making sure that all those differences were masked behind the Netlink layer. So, of course, what happens inside of the kernel driver that we have, it's quite different compared to what happens on the Linux base, okay? But uh, what happens above that, it's as identical as possible. Sure, there are some small differences. For example, we don't have Unix sockets on Windows. So that's why, for example, we were talking about name pipes just, just yesterday, okay? But everything which uses TCP IP, including SSL and everything, works exactly in the same way. Now, additionally, we, we're using also PowerShell wherever possible. So wrapping, for example, also some of the OVS user space commands in, in commonlets. 
So that's another area to make it even more familiar for Windows, uh, so we people with that with a Windows type of experience. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about the PowerShell uh, part of it. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not really a, a Windows user, at least not in recent versions, yeah. so I don't know much about uh, mm -hmm. PowerShell. Does that give the Windows admin more convenient access to, say, common sequences of commands, or is there some other purpose there? Yeah, that's the main idea. Also to have a unified scripting uh, interface. PowerShell is an um, extremely powerful shell. It's entirely based on .NET, so it's a, a very object-oriented to say. So it takes uh, most of the concepts that come from the Bash history, for example, the idea of running commands and pipelining from one to the other, with the difference that we don't have uh, just streams of data, but we have uh, real objects, okay? So we can actually pipe objects which are instantiated and sent out in the output pipeline, okay, from, from a command into another one, okay? so they, it's way more structured the way in which the shell can enable a developer to develop command lists on other type of, um, of scripts in, a, in the PowerShell context, okay? Of course, the PowerShell can also execute any type of traditional executable commands, like for example, uh, the, the OBS ones, okay? But it, it's also very convenient to wrap them to, into command lists so that they can also provide a unified experience mm -hmm. to, to the users, okay? It makes me wonder whether any of these uh, commandlets that maybe mm -hmm. you provide, I wonder if any of those are ones that we should consider providing in, say, a form of a, of a born shell script for other systems if they turn out to be commonly useful. Yeah, that would be great. At the moment, the PowerShell is a, it's a Windows-only implementation, so Linux right. Windows-only implementation, but if it goes beyond that at some point, I think it definitely makes sense to provide it also for, for other devices. If Makes sense. I mean, so going in the other direction, yeah. I've, I've heard a lot lately about uh, Ubuntu on Windows and, yeah. and Bash on Windows. Sure. Uh, do you see that having a relationship to the port of OVS to Hyper-V? Will that make anything easier or harder? It's one of the first things that we started thinking with in the moment in within Microsoft that the discussion started coming around. Okay. The main idea is that uh, this is a developer experience. So currently you have it available on Windows 10. It's aimed at uh, having developer fam developers familiar with the POSIX environment. Linux, uh, OS X, and so on, to find the same tool sets available on Windows without having to resort to MinGW or the other, other additional extensions that are typically not so easy to set up, not necessarily fully compatible, and so on. Okay? It's not available at the moment on the server side. To clarify, this is not uh, Linux on Windows. Okay? Uh, the GNU folks, for example, talk about it about GNU slash KWindows. So it's Windows kernel with all the GNU toolsets on top, okay? Bash in premise, okay? The, the way in which Microsoft usually talks about is Bash on Windows, okay? Canonical is, of course, providing all the dev packages and whatever else, okay, on top of it. So the deployment experience, the type of packages you deploy and everything are exactly the ones that you will find in, in Ubuntu today. So you can do like apt-get install, and all these traditional commands, okay? But obviously you don't have a, if you run a uname minus a, you don't find information about a, a Linux kernel, okay? The interesting thing is that this enables also a few primitives that were very hard to before and were and are always a slightly problematic for us. For example, fork, it's something which is very difficult to achieve in Windows because of the way in which Windows processes are made. While uh, in, in the Bash on Windows case, uh, since they, they don't use anything specific from the U Windows user space uh, API, so it's basically a layer which is directly set on top of the uh, Windows kernel implementation, okay? Uh, the processes, for example, are based on PyCo processes and so on, okay? So you can have also native forks. So if you just uh, open up a Python interpreter, so the 
elf binary Python interpreter okay, that comes with, with the canonical packages and you run uh, import OS and OS.fork, you just spin up a new process exactly like you will see on a POSIX environment. Okay? While if you try to do the same with the Python environment running in, uh, natively in Windows, that specific function won't be available. So it, it sounds like the Ubuntu on Windows actually uses some of the traditional Unix binary formats like ELF. Yeah, it, it definitely is. There is nothing, there is no exit file or anything. So it's, it's entirely, so the, the binaries are not recompiled for Windows, are exactly the same binaries that you would use on a Linux environment. Uh, of course, x86, 64, I mean, not course. ARM or anything else. Uh, this, is, this is really interesting, but yeah. I guess I'm, I'm digressing from what uh, I, I um, really wanted to talk about. Yeah, very important. Anyway, for now, it doesn't really make sense to think about pile for, for this environment. Uh, anyway, all the part behind, so we still don't have Netlink, okay, because of course we have the Windows kernel. So all the kernel extension will remain the same. Uh, the discussion in the future may be if it's worth uh, keeping the binaries as they are for Linux and just using them as they are, maybe of course recompile them to support the Netlink replacement, or just keeping on going with the current work that we have. For the time being, there is no choice. We have to keep the existing work that we did. Right. So the exit ports to say so, okay? So going back to uh, an earlier point yeah. um, about the philosophy of, of whether you are more like Windows or, mm. or more like OpenVSwitch and other platforms, I remember when the Hyper-V port was, was starting out, mm -hmm. there, there was some confusion over port naming and there was a need to mm -hmm. use some external utilities to, I, I believe, to give ports the names that they expected yeah. and so on. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, an example of, of differences uh, between the philosophies and, and did we resolve it in a Yeah, correct. Way? Those are uh, is, uh, one of the main examples, actually, and uh, that we resolved by ensuring that the difference were hidden inside, actually, of the inside the OVS toolsets, okay? Mm -hmm. Just to give an example, on Linux you have tap adapters and everything to handle the ports which are attached to, to the individual VMs in, uh, for example, in KVM and so on. While on Windows you have a virtual switch and that virtual switch has uh, some internal ports, okay? And those are the ports that correspond very roughly uh, to the tap adapters on, on the Linux side, okay? So there is no direct mapping between the two. Also, we have to make sure that one of the Hyper-V ports in the switch corresponds to a given ID that corresponds to the port name in OVS, so that in the kernel extension, when we get messages, events, let's say, related to those ports, we are able to identify which is which. No? In order to do that, we use some uh, WMI commands. Okay, WMI is the manage one of the management interfaces available on Windows. Those are integrated, so they're not external today. They're directly integrated inside of uh, OVS via CTL, for example, and are directly executed as part of the, uh, of the commands that we, we run there, for example, when to do add port and everything. So the main idea, the, the main reason why we need that is that we use one of the uh, fields in the, in the WMI objects that we use, it's called element name for, for the specific port element, okay? And in which we simply put, put the ID of the port that we see also in, uh, in, uh, in OVS. So if you do OVS via CTL, you will see some IDs, some GUIs, basically. Those are identifying uniquely, uh, in a unique way apart, and that same ID is also available on the Hyper-V side. So that's, but again, the user doesn't have to do anything, it just works out of the box. Another, another example, uh, if I may add here, is the fact that, um, okay, for example, in, in OVS 2.5, we added the support for multiple switches, okay? While in the previous 2.4, we have hard-coded names, external, internal, exactly because we had issues in the way in which those were mapped. So now we, we, we move to, to a, a new scenario, which finally we can also have a multiple switches, and inside of uh, each switch, virtual switch, we can also have multiple NICs. 
so that we can also have a LACP and so on. While keeping this uh, same transparent approach, so that uh, just to give an idea, uh, the OpenV switch Neutron agent has to run the same identical way on uh, Linux and on Windows without too many changes. We had to, of course, do a few changes. Some of our developers are very actively contributing in the Neutron community in order to make this happen. But we want to make sure that we keep those differences to the bare minimum. The history of, of the Hyper-V port, I find that uh, uh, somewhat interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, that goes back to before CloudBase or even VMware was involved. Mm-hmm. Back in, I think, 2011 or 2012, oh, well. mm-hmm. at Nasira, we were interested in supporting Hyper-V in NVP. Mm-hmm. And so we did some interviewing. We hired consultants, and at one point we found ourselves on a conference call with some people who worked on Hyper-V at Microsoft. Uh Justin and I, we we started by introducing ourselves and saying who we worked for and what we were interested in. Uh And then these these folks at Microsoft, they were the most open people I've Mm -hmm. ever run into. They told us about everything. They they told us about their product plans, what they were going Mm -hmm. to announce. Uh, what features they are adding, what problems there were. Mm-hmm. And Microsoft, at least in my world, doesn't have a good reputation for mm-hmm. being really open with people. And they, they were fantastic. Yeah. So uh, we, we got off the call and, and we felt like we knew everything that was coming up. Mm-hmm. And then an hour later, we got an email from them saying, we thought you were Microsoft employees. Don't tell anybody any of that stuff. <laughs> uh, and it, it wasn't for that reason, but, uh, but we, we didn't end up uh, following through with the Hyper-V port uh-huh. at, that, at that point. Mm-hmm. And then at VMware, uh, I guess it was a few years ago, mm-hmm. VMware started getting interested in the Hyper-V port. Yeah. And I guess CloudBase must have been interested in parallel because... We, we ended up with two implementations yeah, posted at almost the same time. Mm-hmm. And there was a, I mean, it was somewhat contentious because everybody wants, everybody likes their own code. Yeah, of course. Do you feel like the relationship there is is okay now? Are you, you happy with the collaboration that we've seen between CloudBase and VMware? Yeah, definitely, yeah. So first, this is nothing new. I mean, it happens quite often. We are involved in a lot of open source projects, okay? So it happens from time to time that uh, different teams come up with a different implementation aiming at the same solution because most of the times you you start developing it and uh, at the point in which you're confident sharing it publicly, you announce it and then uh, somebody else says, oh, we were doing the same thing, okay? <laughs> and so you end up with two solutions and then, of course, you need to make everybody happy. That's actually a difficult part. Uh, everybody prefers, obviously, the way in which they they did it. We try to be very critical, of course, on our own code and evaluating what other people do, but I cannot say that I'm not biased. Protect to say what our own developers did and everything. So that's, I think, a kind of a natural thing for as much as you can to, to say, oh, look, the other guys did it better, you know? So what we did, of course, is go back to the, to the whiteboard and try to be as uh, constructive as possible and say, look, uh, here we have, uh, I believe, a point we did it better, or look, here the other team did it better. So the, the difficult part at the point was like taking both ports and implement them in, in a single solution. No? Uh, for example, we were really happy that we, uh, our architectural design was the one that got chosen, okay? So the current Netlink, for example, replacement uh, is roughly straight off our original implementation. While um, some of the uh, implementation itself uh, was redone also because we were relying, for example, on, um, on some samples coming from Microsoft which had open source license that was necessarily working too well with Apache 2 in that moment. So it made more sense at that point to rewrite some of those pieces and, and those came straight from, uh, from the VMware team. Okay? On top of that, once we had the, the basic foundation done, everybody started adding new features and everything. 
So I think we have a great relationship at the moment. We have a roughly equal representation, I believe, between between two teams. There is a weekly meeting every Tuesday on RSC. That is always very constructive when things moving forward. We we have cross-reviewing, meaning that we usually have this unwritten rule in which uh, if somebody from VMware writes something, we, from that cloud base, we, we review it and vice versa. And, and things go definitely well. I mean, there's... Uh, there is absolutely no, no no friction or no contention. What's your opinion of the, the state of the Hyper-V port at the moment? Do, do you have people who are using it in proof of concepts? Are they moving mm-hmm. toward production? How, how's it going? Do you... So we are actually still amazed by the amount of interest that this generates. Okay, So we see, first, there are an enormous amount of people doing proof of concepts, of course. No? Second, I found a, a large number of companies using it in production which surprises me because we are actually, we released basically 2.5 very recently, okay? 2.5 is at least for what we are concerned for, you know, the productization of, of the OBS port, a stable release. So we encourage people to use 2.5 in production environment. 2.4, by common agreement, was the first release that we had and we always marked it as experimental slash beta. So if you go, for example, to our website and you download the, the, the installer that we, we build at every at, there is a continuous build basically that sends out the installer and uh, that one is always marked as beta for the 2.4 okay while 2.5 is fully released okay? well, so I, I, I hadn't realized that you regarded 2.5 as stable so there's a yeah. lot of people using that and there is a significant number of people out there using it and uh, we worked a lot on performance improvement for example so the throughput that we see today is uh, very very good so we worked a lot of adding compatibility for example with other type of uh, encapsulation because in 2.4 we had uh, mostly only uh, VXLAN. Now there is also GRE, we have uh, STT, we have MPLS, so all these things are already upstream, so it's uh, it's working great. We try, of course, to, to use, um, when it comes to what we deliver to customers, okay, we always have an upstream first philosophy, okay, so everything that we, we deliver to customer has to be upstream, okay. Of course, like every other distribution, we need to add some bug fixes, some minor, let's say, features that maybe are still pending in the pipeline and everything, but that's actually very minor thing. Okay, so our general goal is like, that's a project, that's the main repository, we believe in open source, and, and that's what we try to deliver to customers, okay? Then on top of that, of course, as a company, we provide support, we provide all the commercial-related things. I saw there are other companies out there which are doing, uh, take, let's say, open switch based SDN solutions, and they offer their own... Uh, productization and everything. That's the beauty of open source, no? So what's next? What's coming up for OpenV Switch and Hyper-V? Sure. Well, uh, 2.6, I believe, is going to be an extremely interesting release. The most exciting part is a contract. The reason for contract is the fact that currently security groups in, in, in OpenStack or Neutron are managed by the native OpenV Switch, sorry, the native Neutron driver, so running on Hyper-V native SDN components, okay? So that's how we handle all the CLs and everything, while all the rest, meaning open uh, the, the flows and uh, encapsulation and so on, can run using o- o- OVS, okay? What we want, of course, is to unify that in a single SDN implementation so that the, the, the users don't have to keep two of them at the same time. And most important, we want that to be handled via flows, exactly like, like it happens in, on KVM, okay? It has to be fully and absolutely transparent so that also if you have external controllers, they can handle that in the same analytical way. So that's uh, the contract is more or less the, the, the last final missing bits that we need for having real full interoperability between the two operating systems 
and uh, relying entirely on OBSDB and OpenFlow. Another thing that, that we've been working on mm-hmm. in the Open vSwitch team is Open Virtual Network or OVN. Yeah. Uh, do you think that there's a place for that in, in Hyper-V environments? Absolutely. Uh, we are already running multiple um, proof of concepts based on that. They experiment mostly internal tests and everything. And uh, we believe that it can be an extremely viable solution, if not even the de facto one, for our neutral deployments uh, in, the, in the very foreseeable future. Of course, OVN is a very young project. It's very well developed, so it's very well thought, and I believe it can solve some of the issues that uh, historically are plugging the, uh, new, some neutron deployments. It okay? comes straight out of the same team developing uh, OBS, so it makes absolute sense. Uh, also, it's, it's implemented in C, so very lightweight, very simple to deploy. Uh, the same binaries, I mean, even today, we, we compile them, all the continuous builds and everything compile also the the, the, the same builds, also the OVM builds, so we can just ship them and deliver them together with, with the OVS one, so people can, and also people are definitely encouraged to, to try them out and test them, okay? We, uh, we plan to also start offering them uh, to, to our, or suggesting our users and customers to evaluate them for production use also as soon as possible. So uh, one of the things that I forgot to get uh, mm. at uh, toward toward the beginning of our conversation mm. is uh, what what is your role uh, at Cloudbase and uh, in this whole ecosystem? Sure. Well, I'm um, one of the two co-founders of Cloudbase. I'm the CEO at the moment. We are a company who started in 2013. Okay, so things are going great. So we reach around 50 people, but I still has a company size in which I I, I still uh, wear both the CEO and the CTO hat. Okay. I, I have a technical background, so I'm, uh, I'm in charge of a significant number of the projects that we have at the company. But for example, for Open vSwitch, we, we have a, our development team, okay? And they, have, uh, they are in task, they're, they're tasked already with um, most of the technical decisions and so on. So what we do, for example, related to Open vSwitch at the company, what I do actually in the Open vSwitch space is uh, taking care of a decision having more of a PM, uh, technical PM role, if you want to call it this way, about the direction that we would like to have, things to discuss with you, Ben and Justin, and so on, about uh, what we want to have, and so on. I, I would like to code more on OVS as well, but <laughs> unfortunately, I, I'm already much more involved, for example, on, on the coding side on um, OpenStack itself, or Cloudbase Neat, or other projects that we are. What OpenStack projects do you contribute to? Well, historically, I wrote a large part of the, um, of the Hyper-V driver, and now that role is mostly handled by Claudio Bello, which is our technical lead on that perspective, plus an amazing team of people there. Uh, parts, a uh, significant part of the Cinder driver, also which I handled today by uh, Luci Petruz, which is uh, the, the person which handled most of that part. Cloud-based in it itself, uh, the, a big part of the initial project is also written by me. Coriolis, which is a, a cloud migration project. It's a, one of the latest things that I did. PyMy, which is a WMI Python, a native C++ Python model replacement for, uh, for WMI APIs that basically allowed us to have a 10 times performance increase in, uh, in, the, in the Mitaka release in, uh, in, in OpenStack by just rewriting completely the way in which uh, uh, Python basically, the, Python, the old Python module was was, uh, let's say, uh, interfacing with, uh, with native WMI primitives on Windows and overcoming a lot of the GIL problems that Python has, okay? So these are the type of projects in which I tend to be involved on the coding side today. Let's say that in general my role is to kickstart a project, writing, let's say, the, 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 the general idea, the, the, the bulk of it up to a point in which it's usable for proof of concepts, and then I tend to build a team around it 
and then we, we work together as a team so I can move on to other things. <laughs> Is your team based in one central location or are you a distributed company? Uh, so we like, of course, the concept of being as distributed as possible. At the moment, we are based in Romania. That's where our headquarters are. So most of our um, customers are anyway global, especially North America. So we are quite often on, on this side of the pond, to say so. But we, it's not that we, we hire people only in Romania. We hire people everywhere we find people. But in Romania, we have a very good ties that we develop with the local universities. So we run a lot of local workshops uh, uh, and the best people that we find, uh, we offer internships uh, and then the best from the internships, we hire them. And, and this workflow so far proved amazing because, I mean, yeah, we managed to onboard really incredible people. I mean, we plan to export the same idea in, in other countries as well, but it means also, you know, creating the ties with the universities, having local offices and everything. At the moment, we have uh, two main offices in Romania and uh, some, quite a few people also scattered around as well. You're working with the universities a lot. Yeah. Does, does that mean that you're getting involved in some academic publishing as well? No, no academic publishing for, for the time being. There is quite some, uh, let's say, how can I say, in, intervening between the, the, the academic world and the, and the industry world. Okay, So we represent from this perspective the, the industry, meaning offering uh, the workshops that are held uh, in the space of the university so that uh, students can come, they can get credits, you know, for for the other things and uh, I don't know if they, are, if they are doing cloud computing classes, you know, they can have a real hands-on environment about what OpenStack means and all this set of open source tools, OBS and everything. So they can stay on the cutting edge of the industry. On one of the universities in Yash, we are also planning to do some of that work. So having, seeing if it's possible to have some also academic training. And then the next step will be also to think about papers and, and, and everything. I mean, that, that will be somehow the next, uh, the next reasonable. I know that you guys started with um, academic research, right? I remember reading your paper a while back. <laughs> right, and we, yeah. we still try to publish uh, papers uh, mm -hmm. from time to time. Mm -hmm. We're always interested in collaborating with people uh -huh. on that. Uh, so we've actually had quite a long uh, conversation here. Okay, yeah, that was a great one. So I, then is, I is lost there, track of time, definitely. <laughs> yeah, is, is there anything you'd like to make sure that our listeners hear about uh, uh, about your projects or your company? Sure, definitely. There is one, one last thing we didn't talk about, which is continuous integration uh, testing for OVS. So we work a lot with Microsoft on um, implementing continuous integration tests for all the OpenStack projects we are involved. Actually, if today you go on Stackalytics, OpenStack is a tracker of contributions and everything, and you go on the CI side, you will find uh, cloud-based as the second name. That actually means that it's uh, all the continuous integration testing for all the projects we are involved. I think there are some 10 of them at the moment. All those tests are running today on an infrastructure provided by Microsoft, uh, in uh, both in Cambridge, Massachusetts and in, in Redmond. There is a Microsoft team, which is a great team that we work together. So it's a part cloud-based, part Microsoft. So it's another excellent example of Microsoft's involvement in the open source space. We are currently uh, starting to, uh, we are actually currently testing already, OpenV switch uh, on Hyper-V in the neutral space. So whenever there is a new neutral patch, we test also using OBS. So that's actually, we validate the latest uh, commits coming straight out of the, uh, of the OBS branch. Okay. So that if there are regressions and everything, which are fairly common sometimes from time to time, you know, when you have a community which is mostly Linux-based, okay, and then we can uh, point them uh, out to, to, to you or and, and the rest of the S community, and we can we can sort them out in a timely manner without having to wait, let's say, a, a user to come out. That's, <laughs> we also use AppVair to make sure that at least we get builds from yeah. every commit to OpenV switch, but sure. 
uh, for, for Windows. But mm -hmm. the main issue we've had there is that it, it doesn't give us enough uh, enough build time to run all of the unit tests, and yeah. so sometimes things get missed that way. Yeah. Also, unit tests are extremely useful. But um, especially for a complex project like OBS with multiple layer user space kernel and everything, uh, it, it becomes extremely important to run uh, full integration tests. Absolutely. Especially for race condition, because anyway, with the Tempest test that we run in OpenStack, you know, testing case, we, there is a lot of traffic, a lot of requests, a lot of open flow rules that get applied in, uh, in the machines which are under test. So it becomes uh, very useful to detect race conditions, uh, uh, blue screens generated from some random, you know, packet coming in, in with, I don't know, something that we didn't think about and stuff like that. Okay, and so far it proved to be excellent. I mean, to track, uh, especially blue screens. Blue screens are in Windows the equivalent to kernel panics. Working on uh, on on a project like OVS, it's it's great, but also very challenging because we cannot afford any error or any bug on the kernel side because a bug translates in a, in a blue screen. So the entire hypervisor going down while well, a bug in user space while well, you restart the service okay continue going so we we are extremely attentive on the quality of, of the builds and everything fantastic mm -hmm. i i think we'll call this to a close do you okay. want to tell people where they can get a hold of you and cloudbase yeah definitely we are always present at all the openstack summit as sponsors so if you happen to attend one please come to our booth our website uh, cloudbase.it twitter so cloudbase.it uh, obviously, the the OVS community, so the mailing list and anything related, or the RC channel and anything related to the OVS community itself, are definitely the best places to to find us. Thanks so much, Alessandro. Okay, thank you. And I'll see you at Thanks, the next OpenStack. Okay, thank you soon. <laughs>